Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $20 on the steel MS-162 or MS-170 chainsaw. Real steel. Offer valid through June 30th, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Outkick 360 from the new 6th and Peabody studio with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine alongside Chad Withrow. I'm Jonathan Hutton, our entire cast and crew making the show happen today. We'll check in with Paul Koharski in about 22 minutes. We'll go live to Titans training camp to get the latest on what Mike Vrabel and the Tennessee Titans accomplished today. And what is a game week for the preseason? We're now entering the phase where we actually get to see them take on another opponent. They'll travel to Atlanta on Thursday for their preseason game, the first of three, coming up on Friday night at the Mercedes-Benz Dome there in downtown Atlanta. And, hun, you know what I've always said? It's really tough to match the intensity of preseason game number one in the oh, NFL. Yeah. This game week, so serious. You've always said that. For both the Titans and the Falcons. I've been on I, – I will die on that hill. That preseason game number one, so intense – it's going to be amazing Friday night. And, of course, I'm being sarcastic. <laughs> well, we do get to see, like, I'm, it's weird in a way. I'm excited to see Dylan Radins play uh, because we actually get to see him match up against a, a rush edge. You know what I'm excited to watch, Hutton? Arthur Smith is a head coach. That too. I want to see that more than anything else. Dean Pease's defense. With our past experience with him here in Nashville, I'm very excited to watch Arthur Smith and Dean Pease uh, with the Falcons on, on Friday. I'm as, I'm as excited about that as I am uh, anything with the Titans. Uh, PK again checks in with us at 1230. Right now, time for our weekly segment, Seeing Clearly, presented by Toyo's Clinic, Outkick 360's trusted partner for all things LASIK and hair restoration. You can call 888-315-3937, 888-315-3937 to schedule a consultation today with Toyo's Clinic. I've had LASIK through Dr. Toyos, uh, more on the hair restoration with Dr. Melissa Toyos coming up in just a moment. But we're seeing clearly on downtown Nashville this weekend, Chad, with uh, the Grand Prix IndyCar series, uh, watching it on TV, watching the course. I, I thought the views were spectacular. Um, I was jealous that you were downtown in the thick of it. What was it like? It was really cool. And uh, like you, I, I got as much out of it going back and watching the replay on TV because it was the view and the driver's vantage point that was the coolest thing about the race. Um, I, I thought it was very well done. Love events like this in Nashville. Um, I want to see more of it. From a technical standpoint with the race, wasn't the greatest flow to it uh, with all the cautions and everything that went into it. Didn't get the best review in terms of the bumpiness of the entire course. Yeah especially on the bridge. First time ever. I didn't realize the first time ever in IndyCar that they were going over water in any one race, uh, which was pretty neat to witness that for the first time. Downtown had a great vibe to it yeah, yesterday late afternoon, uh, as it does any weekend really in Nashville now. But people everywhere. Uh, my vantage point was uh, on Broadway on top of a roof. I got to see sort of up on 2nd Avenue where they made the turn. Um, by our old radio station yeah. on Rutledge Hill. Uh, so I got to witness that part of it. Really cool to be a part of it. Want to see more of it. Um, but 
I think there's probably some things that are above our knowledge points of the sport that need to be worked out first with the track uh, and with the cautions they had and the problems they had with the race. But other than that, I mean, I hope this becomes an annual event in Nashville and we see more things like this. Yeah, and I think Nashville checked off a lot of the boxes. It's hard to check out, check off all of them in one weekend at a debut weekend. People are complaining about the course and leading to some of the cautions, the majority of them, what, nine times uh, over the course of this race. Um, and, and maybe that should be adjusted some. But keep, also keep in mind that the, the, the drivers themselves had input on the course and the track. They helped lay this thing out. This is not something that was laid out over six months. They've been sp- talking about doing this for five, seven years uh, when they put this track together. Uh, I, I, location, atmosphere, uh, fan experience, uh, drama throughout. I thought Nashville checked off a, a lot of great boxes for this, and I'm excited to attend the one next year and what is initially a three-year agreement downtown. Um, do, do I hope that we don't see the, the race stop nine times? Yeah, I, I think you hope that. But ultimately, you want a race that's going to produce a true winner, right? You, you, want, them, you want the winner to have to overcome several elements throughout. And I think on, what, lap five, uh, the, uh, we saw Erickson involved in a race where ultimately he ends up winning the whole thing. Well, and I think more than anything else, it's yet another highlight of people just want to come to Nashville. Events want to come to Nashville. The drivers love being in Nashville. The fans love being in Nashville. Uh, it's, you know, I, we're watching the Formula One series. Could Nashville become sort of the Monte Carlo, uh, you know, of the Grand Prix circuit of the IndyCar series? Because Nashville is one of those cities that mm-hmm. in the United States and even internationally, people want to get to Nashville. And I think the success of an event like this shows once again the gravitational pull of the city that we're broadcasting from right now and the effect it has on the sporting public. And we saw it yesterday with the Grand Prix. And not the Grand, the Grand Prix. Prix. That's right. But the Grand Prix. Coming up, we talk Tennessee Vols football. And at 1230, we will go live to Titans training camp and check in with PK. Uh, but coming up, Chad, we're going to get into some details of Heupel and how his approach to fall camp with the Vols, his mentality. Uh, his presence on the football field and how that translates. Has Tennessee found the right mix from a personality program construction standpoint with Josh Heupel? Also, why Josh Heupel is the same from some predecessors in coaching, but also very different because he's a little bit of all of them. I like where you're going with this. That's all straight ahead. I'll kick 360 and the Tennessee Power Hour rolls on from our 6th and Peabody studios with Chad Withrow. I'm Jonathan Hutton. Lance Lee, Jakob Swanson making the show happen behind the cameras. David Reed, the chairman of the board. Ellie Sylvia, our great production assistant, uh, making it happen on Twitter and on Facebook and YouTube. You can find us there, OutKick360. That's where you can search us. You subscribe to our YouTube channel, you're automatically entered to win a Sony and Hertz Audison prize pack. You can learn more, again, just by searching out our YouTube page. What are you learning so far about Josh Heupel and the Tennessee program? Well, Hutton, I am so hesitant to use the word swagger when describing anything to do with Tennessee football right now, given recent history. But there is an air of confidence about this team, about a team that's coming off a 3-7 and season where the entire coaching staff was gutted because of NCAA violations. But there is a different 
I'm not going to go with swagger. There is a different walk and attitude about this group so far. Now, that could end up being a very good thing, could end up being a not-so-good thing. Give me an example. Based on they're, they're free. It seems like a group that feels like they've had shackles taken off of them due to the previous coaching staff and just how much more difficult things were made for them. Now, again, this goes into the catch-22. Well, if things were difficult and made difficult for them, it means they must have been working really hard to become better football players. And maybe they're not working as hard now under Josh Heupel. I don't know. But regardless, and you get a lot of this with any first-year head coach, that first-year shine where, oh, everything's different. We had great workouts. The coaching staff likes us. Nothing's bad. We like them as people. Uh, they're really letting us uh, use our voice. And, but I, I think it's genuine with Josh Heupel because these players didn't have a voice under Jeremy Pruitt. They weren't allowed to do interviews. They weren't allowed to talk to the media. I mean, it's totally different. It's a totally different vibe with anyone who covers that camp from what Jeremy Pruitt was doing to what Josh Heupel was doing. Now let's go back to the word swagger. The Tennessee program had a lot of swagger under Lane Kiffin in 2009. That was one of the good things with Lane Kiffin. Go to Derek Dooley, you have this goofy guy who's going to give you a bunch of quotes, but it was really difficult to get a sense of what the Derek Dooley-led Tennessee program really was. Butch Jones comes in, and Butch Jones, he had rabbit ears was his biggest problem. He was a slogan hype machine, and that paid off in recruiting a number of times for Butch Jones in Tennessee, but he could not stop concerning himself with things that did matter on the outside, and that's what was Butch Jones' undoing. You go to Jeremy Pruitt, and it was a mini Saban approach. He was trying to be Nick Saban. He's not and came across as ridiculous at times because of that, and he got into a lot of trouble with the NCAA and, and got fired. You look at Josh Heupel, he seems like a guy to me who concerns him th- himself with the things that matter and doesn't worry a lot about the things that don't matter. Example, let's all of his quarterbacks talk. Let's all of his receivers talk. When you do that, you get Jimmy Callaway being asked a question about you know, who's leading the quarterback race, and he says, well, they're all working hard, and they all, are, they all are even right now in the quarterback race, but Joe Milton throws the ball better than the other guys. Jeremy Pruitt would have gone ballistic over that c- comment from a player. I don't think Josh Heupel cares. He's going to let his guys have their own personality. He's going to let them do interviews. He's not as concerned about a kid doing an interview and happening to let it slip that, oh, maybe this guy's leading the quarterback race right now. He, he just doesn't concern himself with things that don't matter as much. That, to me, has been the biggest positive takeaway from Josh Heupel. Josh Heupel so far has been about, we're going to go out and install our offense. We're going to take a look at this team. I'm going to let the defensive coaches run the defense and coach them. The players are talking about it's not a lackadaisical approach uh, to practice, but it's more of a they're going to come to you and talk to you like a person, like a man when you do something wrong. It's no yelling, just calmly telling them what to do in each drill, how you're going to run in between drills. It's just very, very different in Knoxville right now. I don't know that that's going to lead to more wins immediately. It's not leading to great recruiting right now in the short term, and there's a lot of other factors around that. But I am curious, Hutton, when you look at Josh Heupel and his approach, he strikes me as a guy who concerns himself with football things that matter and team things that matter, and can take a step back and not worry about everything. 
Derek Dooley had damn blueprints for their facility and a hard hat, hard on, hat on as practice is going on, <laughs> concerning himself with the placement of the bathroom. Maybe just even the unisex bathroom in this place. He was concerned about that more than the actual football team at times. Butch Jones was concerned with someone talking bad about him on the radio or on TV or someone tweeting him. Josh Heupel strikes me as a guy who he cares about coaching offense, about running the program, about connecting with the guys and having a good culture on his team. And I don't think a lot of other things really concern him that much, and that to me is a positive. Well – it's, it is a positive. It's not going to win him any favor with the fan base, ultimately, if they go out and look like crap against Bowling Green, right? Like, it, it, it matters, but the public perception is not going to sway one way or the other until we see his team on the field. Both can be fair. Um, I, do, I, I prefer Heupel's approach, though, to what we have seen from other coaches come in thinking they know exactly how it's done and it just simply doesn't cut it. Um, and, and there are so many different vibes and, and relationships that different coaches give off or, or have and don't have that haven't worked on the Hill in Knoxville that hopefully Heupel can do. One thing we don't know is what Heupel is like much behind the scenes because it's not like he's giving the media a ton of access to himself over the months leading up to the practice time right now. He's been solely focused on recruiting and football and more power to him as long as he can have success in that regard. Um, the question is how we, de- how we define success based on where the program is right now. I, I like there is, that there is some swagger, that there is uh, a unified voice with what we're hearing. I like that they're letting the players speak as well. I also think even if, it, if we're talking old regimes for a moment, how much could they actually restrict their players from doing it in the NIL era that we're now in? At some point, you have to just say, well, if not, you want to speak to the media, you can. It's not stopping most coaches and programs from limiting uh, practice availability in media yeah, that's just up to like the they've team. always done. That's up to the team. If the player wants to go and do a podcast or do a media availability, they can now. That's I, would, my point. I would think so, but I mean, they're still going to have to run it up the food chain and say, hey, this is a sponsored deal. But, I, you know, I need you guys to approve it, to do it. But let's go back to you said it's not going to grant him any favors. I agree with you with the fan base. But here is where he's going to be granted some favors. Media is going to cut him a break. Media is going to cut him a break because he's very open and honest with them. He's allowing them to watch more practice than they had before. Right. He's giving, granting way more access. And Bill Martin, who's the SID at Tennessee, is granting way more access than they ever would have under Jeremy Pruitt. And here's another big factor with national media. Philip Fulmer's not the AD. I think that there's such little interest in Tennessee outside of the fan base right now that no one's really talking about them in general. But from a national media perspective and a local media perspective, Josh Heupel will be granted a lot of favors, and they're not going to be as hard on him, especially early, because he is granting that access. And again, I think so many national media members were so thrown off by the fan and AD-related coup that happened with Curry – and Philip Fulmer taking over, and other people well, that harbored and, problems with Philip Fulmer from before, that they were always going to be out on Philip Fulmer and whoever his choice was. Now that that slate is wiped clean, Danny White's the AD, Josh Heupel's the coach, I think it's square one now with a lot of national media members. Whether that helps Tennessee or not in the long run, we'll see. But I do think that he gets granted favors from both local and national media. Suck to hear about Karon Calvert 
yeah. over the weekend uh, with what appears to be a torn bicep. I don't know if they approved if they uh, if they said that officially or not. That was he was going to have an MRI on the torn. If it's a torn bicep, he's done for the season. He's a fifth-year senior. Uh, he has battled injuries all through high school and through college, uh, and was was going to be a big piece of their O line that there's not going to have available most likely with with that type of injury. So uh, we'll discuss the depth up front and much more uh, with future uh, VolQuest Power Hours and more Vols coverage. The one bit, the one note we have on that, Glenn Ellerby, who's the offensive line coach, was asked about it, and he said no comment. Uh, he said that's for Coach Heupel to disclose at some point. I would say that's probably bad news right. for his eligibility this season. Yeah, and if, it is, if it's that injury, he's likely done he's for done. the year. Yeah. yeah. Time to go out to Titans training camp, check in with Paul Koharski, who's been observing the practice there uh, ongoing and just wrapped up with Mike Vrabel and his media availability. PK, uh, the, uh, the unofficial depth chart was released. Your thoughts? Well, look, a lot of people are telling me I, I take it too personally. I, look, an unofficial depth chart generally means nothing, though there are some nice hints in there. Um, you guys know I don't like the trend where the team becomes uh, media, and uh, they're going to tell us it's no big deal. Mike Vrabel actually allowed for a little bit more than usual. But he said a lot of things are going to change. You know, it's not that important. But when it's an official Jim Wyatt media release that isn't given to the media on the same timetable that it's given to Jim Wyatt, the team's making it a big deal as far as I'm concerned. So it's always been in the first uh, game release. So it would be in the Atlanta pre-game release that's given to all the media at the same time. It wasn't done that way today. It was an exclusive titansonline.com uh, report by Jim Wyatt. That the Titans say it's not a big deal. It looks like a big deal when Jim Wyatt's got an exclusive report on it. What are some of your observations of what you saw there? Um, Chester Rogers punt returner, which, uh, I think is, is the right, that right call should be expected. Um, got to flip, flip to it. I thought, um, Marcus Johnson is the number two receiver significant. They've got Swaim over Ferkser in a, uh, one tight end base offense with three wide receivers. Sam Brilo and Lamb are splitting right tackle in a slash move. Roberson and Simon are the number twos at outside linebacker. So Wyatt Ray, not there. Um, Rogers, the punt returner. Darrington Evans, the kick returner. Uh, no real surprises there, I don't think. A lot of people kind of making an issue out of Swain. But I think if you're in a three-wide receiver offense, you would expect the blocking tight end to be starting, whether he's been out here practicing or not. Paul, I would say that this is going to be a one-time thing with the team releasing news this way, but I would say probably you're going to need to get used to more uh, of this with uh, pro sports oh, yeah, teams everywhere. I, I am curious, though, just the, the media angle on this. Does anyone else fight this battle with you, or are you the only no, one taking no, this fight to the Titans? Everybody's telling me. Everybody's – well, uh, you know, I was just talking to a colleague who says the, the depth chart is not news, so why fight the battle of them releasing non-news? But it's a trend, right? And the universal agreement is that it's not news, but when the Titans take it and release it, they're making it news. So it's a thing taken away from a general release to a team-specific release where they're, they're obviously making it news. And every little thing that gets taken away from us, uh, you know, adds up in the end. It's not something we get back. And so I take note of every 
everything that changes, uh, everything that changes isn't going to change back in favor of the general media. It changes in favor of the team media, and uh, it's what they want ultimately is um, full, full or fuller control. Paul, I was out there on Saturday morning, and the one glaring thing I noticed is how banged up they are on the offensive line right now. And, and we add Kendall Lamb to that as well. Uh, give, us, give us your thoughts. Speaking of depth chart, I mean, we're going two or three deep at some positions now for them just to get through a practice. We know we're going to see a lot of them in the preseason games, the backups I'm speaking of. It's hard to find true starters that are available right now. Yeah, he had something go with his shoulder today, so we don't know what the what the status of that will be. Um, and he's a slash starter, like we said, but it's not tackle, Hutton. It's really the interior. Mm-hmm. Daniel Munyer uh, has a case of the twisties for a center. He can't snap. Uh, I didn't notice any bad snaps today, but uh, on Saturday when you were out, you saw four bad snaps yes. in one practice, which is a ridiculously high amount of bad snaps. They don't have anybody behind him. I mean – the guy they brought in behind him is hurt. Aaron Brewer has been on, on PUP this whole time. Um, ben Jones wasn't out here again today. Um, and so they're really limited at center. And they just need a guy that could get the ball to Ryan Tannehill, to Logan Woodside, and to, and to Matt Barkley. So they've got problems on the interior of the offensive line. Sam Brilo did some teamwork today, so that's a good sign. They've talked about him being a tackle slash guard that could use his help at guard because uh, they've got numbers at tackle, at least. Um, uh, Taylor Lewan played tackle with uh, in team periods today for the first time. So Simbrilo and Lewan returning, you know, makes them stacked at guard. It's just uh, a tackle, excuse me. They need help on the interior. Um, and, you know, uh, <clears throat> the, the interior defensive line continues to eat up the interior offensive line and these interior defensive linemen are no studs Woodrow Hamilton um you know Coley um guys like that are just uh, Anthony Rush um you know I, I don't think they're guys who are on the 53 here necessarily maybe one of them but uh you know they, they are having a field day and they're all are the the linemen wearing knee braces yeah, uh, Ty Sambrello told me that that's mandated by John Robinson. And I, I asked um, Mike Vrabel about it. He said, I, I just noticed it on Taylor Lewan, right? Um, and some guys wear them kind of under, some guys wear them over, some guys wear them kind of sticking out. Um, so I noticed it on Lewan, and I thought, well, there's a big precaution with him coming back. Um, and then Sambrilo was at the rail, and he talked. And so I got a minute alone with him, and he said, uh, it's mandated by the GM. Um, but he said his injury wasn't a knee, which I think a lot of us proceed, uh, uh, presumed that it was a foot. So he's coming back from a foot injury, but he said full contact pra- uh, practices, all the offensive linemen are wearing knee braces. I know that's a very popular thing. This is going all the way back to Jacob Bell when he was coming back uh, from an ACL. He returned to wearing uh, knee braces on both knees for practices, which is something that they do at a lot of colleges. I think at most colleges, um, I think they wear them not just for practices, but for games. I think offensive linemen are used to all their football work at a lot of colleges being double knee braced. Um, These guys, (laughs) the the tone I got will not be wearing them in games, but um, they've got no choice, it seems, but to wear them in practices, whether they like them or not. 
and Vrabel said, you know, we don't know how much it benefits us, but certainly we find it to be a preventative measure that's worth uh, worth engaging in. Good our Titans training camp report from Paul Koharski, and uh, he's been observing camp each day that is open to the media, uh, which uh, just wrapped up uh, about an hour ago or, or so. Uh, Paul, we, we had a discussion right before you hopped on about the Tennessee Volunteers and Josh Heupel and, and just reacting to what's been reported uh, as his demeanor and approach to this team on the practice field. I'll tie that in now with Todd Downing, who was very vocal on Saturday in my observation, and you say today was really getting after the offense. Yeah, there was a team period where the receivers uh, had a couple mental errors, had a substitution error, uh, something else that was not playing uh, to, to our, our vision. And uh, he led it to them pretty good about, you know, uh, six mistakes in relative short order and they needed to get it, to get it together. Uh, and he certainly has a higher volume to him than Arthur Smith. We've seen Arthur Smith get, get angry. And, uh, you know, I can picture him red faced and, uh, and even some snapshots of him looking like that. But Todd Downing's got a louder voice, generally speaking. And when he raises it, he raises it more loudly, generally speaking. So uh, there were a couple of those moments today. Vrabel had one with Caleb Farley, who uh, I think made a misplay and then kind of laid on the ground for a minute. And Vrabel wasn't having that. He's like, that's not how we react. That's not what we do. I need somebody out here who can cover and tackle and got, got him out of there. Um, I think Farley's having some difficulties. I do think that, you know, we're talking on the sidelines. Some of us, it seems like a guy that the switch will come on for at some point, but that the switch is not on for um, uh, a, a, a concerning share of the time right now. I'm saying that, you know, what's his third, fourth practice, maybe his second practice in pads um, and at, at and in team portions. But he's not having an easy time of it right now yet. I still think a guy with his pedigree will ultimately get there sooner rather than later. But right now, not playing particularly well. Yeah, and you know, I just want to point out, I, I don't want to make excuses for him uh, because of where he was drafted and the expectations that they have for him. But he started playing corner like four years ago. I mean, he's very new to the yeah. position. He did it when he got to Virginia Tech. And he also hasn't played football in what, like, 17 months because he, he opted out last year so like it, what we're seeing is the first time he's played in a, in over a year and over a year and a half because of injury um so i i think there will be more progression i think what's key here and just to point out is how quickly he was made available off of that non-football injury list this is critical that they're actually having him on the field right now and getting to work with him during camp and not having to wait and do this during the season I agree. And this is mental stuff, not physical stuff, right? Our big concern was the physical stuff, the, the, the two back surgeries and stuff. He's twisting, he's torquing, he's running, he's closing on people, all that stuff. Uh, you know, in three weeks, if he's having a, a lot of uh, uh, mental errors, MEs, as they call them, I, I think it'll be reasonable to have concerns. Um, but yeah, he was going to be a little bit of a work in progress, um, even if he came in healthy and, and everything. Still a, a, a bit of a growth project, right? They, they drafted an upside guy. Now, I expect him to be a lot better than he is right now come opening day, and I think he expects that and the team expects that. But I think you and I are on the same page here in terms of uh, the physical stuff is the most important, and the physical stuff seems to be uh, on track and probably on a better pace than most of us expect. 
Paul, you had a chance to talk to Rashad Weaver over the weekend at Titans practice. What did you make of the non-answers that he gave to your questions, which I thought was very fair? I thought it was absolutely fine and what you expect. And um, I wanted to throw my phone into uh, Amulet Lake here, which surrounds the Titans practice complex, because the number of people who just don't get that that's a necessary question and part of my job frustrates me to no end. Um, it just If you don't get it, I can't help you. <coughs> Excuse me. I mean, it's the first time he's faced the media since Pittsburgh police said that he said there are times that it's okay to hit a woman. Now, uh, people say, well, you know he's not going to say anything or you know what he's going to say. That doesn't mean he gets a free pass. He stands in front of the media. It's my obligation to, to have him address the question. And if he no comments it, that's fine. You get him on the record having faced the question. If you want somebody that's going to pussyfoot around it or not ask, go somewhere else. Get out. I'm going to ask the question. Quite frankly, the rest of the media, there might have been one guy ready to ask it. Most of the media is waiting for me to ask it so that they don't have to take the grief on Twitter than on tape. But that's how it works. That's not how I work. That's how it works. That's how it's supposed to work. I asked uh, Julio Jones about the, the lawsuit involving the illegal marijuana accusation. I asked Rashad Weaver about Pittsburgh police saying he says it's okay to hit a woman. And whatever other criminal stuff goes on around here, I'm going to ask people about accusations made against them. And if you don't like it, I don't give a well, and there, were, uh, there was a follow-up that basically asked the question, well, are you going to be eligible for football this season? He said, I'm only going to take football questions. And I think someone followed up yeah. and said, are you eligible for football this season? And I'll also say this, Paul, if he didn't say it, he had every right to also answer and say, no, I did not say that. Right. And that's, what, that's why you asked that, the question. That would have been a huge answer. That would have been yes. a huge answer. That would have been huge news. And, it, and he would have defended himself. Most guys, to most of those questions, are going to say, I'm leaving it to my lawyers. And then the question's been asked and answered, and then we wait until October 5th in his hearing. There's absolutely nothing wrong with asking that question. There's something wrong with not answering, asking that question. And, you know, his eligibility is to a degree in question. He's probably not getting suspended for a first-time misdemeanor charge, but the league says its investigation of, of him under the personal conduct policy is open. That affects this football team. That's a football question. It's not, it's not a non-football question. And he's more than just a backup to this team, in my observation, Paul. I mean, he's, he's a rotational piece that could be asked to do a lot more given injury situations. You know, uh, Landry was individual. Uh, I saw a lot of Weaver over the weekend. He's, I mean, when you look at their depth chart, uh, they've got John Simon who can play both sides and knows this defense, and he's a physical vet. But they do they're in desperate need of some young legs and some length at that spot. And that's Rashad Weaver. Look, I like John Simon, Hutt. Um, you know, and I think he'd add something for this team, but I don't see him getting into the backfield with any regularity. Right. Uh, the new element here who could, could, could conceivably get into the backfield is Rashad Weaver. He's long and he's different. Uh, I don't see Wyatt Ray getting into the backfield. I don't see Derek Roberson getting into the backfield. So the new element... Um, you know, who's not a wily veteran who's going to do some things for you that don't include getting in the backfield is Rashad Wheat. You've got to have hopes on that guy. Um, and uh, so, he, yeah, he's a significant uh, factor. He's a significant element of this team as they try to piece together what they can do with the pass rush, which we know has been an ongoing conversation here for quite some time. Coming up with PK, he attempted to speak to an NFL ref today. 
Uh, refs, uh, the, the referees were at practice. They're there today and tomorrow. We'll get PK's take on that. Uh, the kicking battle continues. It sounds like that has settled down a bit for both guys. We'll get Paul's uh, reaction and observations to the kickers, as well as the 360 parlay. It's all straight ahead on Outkick 360. Time for the Outkick 360 Daily Parlay, fanduel.com slash OK360. We invite you to visit that link and join us tonight. Only five games across Major League Baseball. Olympics done. There's not a lot on the slate tonight for the parlay, but we're going to make it happen. We're going to make it rain. We're going to get into the winner's circle here with the 360 parlay. We're going to Major League Baseball, and we're taking some money lines. We're taking the Brewers' money line, minus 205, heavy favorites against the Cubs this evening. That is a 7.06 Central first pitch. Uh, five minutes after the Brewers and Cubs play, we'll see the White Sox take on the Minnesota Twins. We're taking the White Sox money line. Brewers and White Sox money line paired with the Kansas City Royals plus a run and a half against the Yankees. Uh, they're the underdog here. We're going to take the runs and hope for a, a close matchup. You get plus 100 odds on that. A $5 wager wins you 22-32. It is the 360 parlay with FanDuel.com slash OK360. We're with PK out at Titans training camp. Paul, the referees were there today. They'll be back tomorrow. And then, of course, we'll see them on Friday night in Atlanta. You attempted to chat with one of the NFL officials today. These guys are, are usually cool with a little bit of banter. The Titans had a two-point conversion. And uh, <clears throat> on the first attempt where I was lined up right behind line judge number 10, I said, hey, how come you let those guys line up offside so much in situations like this? Two of them were offside. And the play happened, and he kind of backpedaled towards me and turned it over his shoulder and said, I will say, and then he said, oh, you're the press. And <laughs> stopped talking. And I said, you talk to us. You talk to us some. And then on the next play, three guys were offside. And I, so I said, now three guys are offside. He didn't even turn around on that. I, I don't understand why they won't call it. If you don't call it in a practice, you sure as hell aren't going to call it in a game. And three guys have their hands or bodies over the ball. I don't understand why this would never be a point of emphasis in the league and why it's, why it's a non-concern. So that's my officiating story of the day. Who's it, it was clearly it? good that they were around. Uh, I'm not sure, but there was uh, a penalty ultimately called on one of the uh, goal line snaps there um, for a uh, two-point conversion. got pushed back, and they had to kick it. Did, did he think you were a coach? I'm confused who he thought initially, was talking to him from behind him. Yeah. No, initially he thought it was somebody with the Titans. Because <laughs> yeah, there are people oh. that stand all around the sideline. Josh Reynolds spoke to the press uh, today. Give us, give us his thoughts on the, the injury. He's back, and, and if, if he's limited, what he's pointing to. Well, I said, have the Titans seen full Josh Reynolds at any point during this? And he said yes, which I think is a disappointing answer because yes. uh, I, I haven't seen anything that suggests that they've seen a, a full-speed guy today. I put out uh, a video of a drill that got a lot of feedback where people said, well, it looks like a warm-up drill or he's probably not going full speed. I came back and I put up uh, you know, four or five other guys doing the same drill. And I said, for context, here are other guys doing it. 
it's, it may not be full speed, but they're doing it faster than he is, and they're certainly cutting more sharply. Nate Washington, friend of the show, said, I can understand your analysis here. It doesn't strike me as a real, like, uh, like that route running is his thing per se, and he's certainly coming back from something. But he's not, he's not coming off the line very aggressively. And, I mean, he was really round in the corner on something where I can understand if you're coming back from some lower leg or leg thing that you might not be chopping it real hard and cutting it real sharp. But I mean, here's just, you know, winding the corner in a, a very non hard effort, non precise way that I found just discouraging. I, I don't think he looks close to being the kind of guy that you'd want to see. Um, so he's got a lot of time obviously. And I, I think better things will be ahead, but I, I don't think he he's close to being the Josh Reynolds that the Titans signed or hoping to see out there on opening day. So that's a guy with a clock uh, on, on him. You know, it's a, it's a lot of time on that clock, but he doesn't look like himself to me, despite what he said at the rail. Yeah. And I, hopefully he's just, uh, you know, covering for himself in. on that because there are other receivers behind A.J. Brown and Julio Jones who are stepping up and making some nice plays. Uh, Josh Reynolds is not one of them um, from what I'm hearing from you and what I'm observing. So uh, he, he should be, right? That, this should be part of the – this should be Josh Reynolds' time. It, at one point this offseason, he was the number two wide receiver that they paid and brought in. We, we need to see more. It is extremely early. It is extremely early, but – I would hope for Josh Reynolds' sake, we have not seen him at his peak performance to this point in camp. I'd say, too, if Marcus Johnson keeps doing what Marcus Johnson is doing, they could be comfortable using Marcus Johnson or even Chester Rogers in that spot if they need to. You know, we used to think, like, well, there's this massive gap after three and four for them. If Marcus Johnson and Chester Rogers go out in games and do what they've been doing in practice, I think that the line between three and four could be blurred unless Josh Reynolds gets back and does the kind of things that we expect based on what he did with the Rams. So, uh, you know, Mike Vrabel's the type who's not going to sit around and wait on Josh Reynolds if Josh Reynolds isn't uh, the, the guy that they signed. And again, say, what, it's 37 days or something like that before they're on the field against the Cardinals. Um, but I don't think we'll see Josh Reynolds play uh, this weekend against the Falcons. Um, I think we're not going to see a ton of You know, that question started today about playing time and all of that. I don't know. You know, I, I'm out of the business of wasting my time asking me that question because he's not going to share anything because it's got to be a state secret yeah. who they roll out to play against Atlanta's twos uh, in the preseason open. Well, we know we're going to see both kickers at some point. We, we, we've seen that from time to time when they, when, they, when they do kick during practice. They did today. And you, your text to us was the kickers are more settled. Explain what you mean. Well, in the last, I think, four times that they've rolled out and I've added today into this, Ficken is 22 for 24, I believe. And um, McCann is 22 of 26. Those are numbers that quiet even me the big kicking critic down. Now those are not kicks, meaningful kicks in meaningful games and against Atlanta. Those are not meaningful kicks in meaningful games, though. It's a, a step up with another team actually rushing you with guys who are trying to make their team with their effort on special teams and all of that. 
But it's hard right now to complain about 22 of 24 or 22 of 26. So for the moment, until they have an off day, uh, it's time to be quiet about the kickers and and see what they can do because um, they've been quite solid for a reasonable stretch right now. Uh, and the good news for all of us, one month from today, one month from tonight, the Dallas Cowboys travel to Tampa Bay. They travel to Raymond James Stadium. They will kick off the regular season against the defending champion, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So there's the good news. We kick off the regular season in one month, but before that we have to get through three preseason games, uh, which includes the boar. That will be preseason game number one as the Titans take on the Atlanta Falcons this Friday night. Uh, all eyes on the kickers because all the other players that are meaningful and impactful, aside from maybe a handful of players, are going to be rested for week one of the preseason. Paul, good work. We will catch up with you tomorrow. And um, you saw the studio prior to the table and, and all the backdrop set up this morning, but we are... We are live from the 6th and Peabody studios, and you'll be back with us in studio on Wednesday. Yep, one more practice. Then Wednesday they go in the evening. Thursday's travel day, Friday's game day. We'll have a, a lot of new stuff to talk about. It looks terrific. Everybody did a great job there behind the scenes. Good job, boys. Uh, on your way home after you have your, your moonshine, don't block the box and be like a lot. <laughs> Chad, great first show from 6th and Peabody and Yeehaw. Get that wind under control, Chief. Uh, for tomorrow, please. Yeah, I feel like the Titans turned the wind up a notch. They turned the wind up a notch. Well, they're trying to make that move by having the mowers come by. (laughs) Either that or it was Cleet Blakeman and his crew uh, because they noticed the media was out on the field. They turned turned up the wind a bit. We are back at it tomorrow, noon Eastern, 11 a.m. Central with all of the headlines, and we'll have the Tennessee Power Hour as well live from Titans Training Camp. Time to grab some of those beers, Hudden. Oh, absolutely. Can we turn and... Grab I don't think I can reach it from here. The, the, again, we showing will. how much bigger the studio is than the old one, I could have reached over and grabbed at the old one, but I can't hear. But we'll be grabbing one very soon. Yes, we will. Until then, join us on the podcast. Join us tomorrow live for Outkick 360.